Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you get your podcasts. Progressive Snapshot can save you money based on how you drive and how much you drive. So the safer you drive, the more money you could save. Now, if you didn't hear that because you were yelling at another car while driving, let me say it again. You need to calm down. Yelling is just making everyone as stressed out as you are and letting them all know that you definitely aren't trying to save with Progressive Snapshot. <clears throat> and if you did hear it the first time because you weren't yelling at another car, nice work. You'd love Snapshot from Progressive because it rewards safe drivers. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Snapshot not available in California and North Carolina or from all agents. Welcome to Stacking the Box. To subscribe, hit us up on Google Play or iTunes or Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Thank you. Here is Stacking the Box. It is the August 25th version, 16 days until the Chiefs and the Texans get it rolling. Welcome in to Stacking the Box. Please give us a rating, subscribe, download. We thank you so much for checking out Stacking the Box. My name is Mark Carmen, your NFL insider, Matt Verderam. Bertie, uh, the Chiefs and Texans, 16 days away. Are you do, you have, do you have something planned for every day leading up to Thursday night? <laughs> the 12 days of Christmas. No, uh, no, I do not, other than to be here and to work, essentially. Um, I'm looking forward to the game. It's nice to have a little bit of normalcy. There will be fans at the game, for better or worse. Um, by the way, the Chiefs are charging like $500 a ticket for the cheapest ticket. Uh, nice job by them there, basically trying to make back any money they can. Um, but I'm, I'm excited uh, for the game. It should be a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, 16 days, not that far away. Not at all. Hold on a second. I might've misunderstood that story. Are the chiefs charging that money or is that what the secondary market? No, the chiefs are charging that. The chiefs are charging that to their season ticket holders. Wow. In some cases, they've, uh, I, I, people have been, there've been many people on Twitter who have been saying, who are season ticket holders, who have been saying that tickets that used to be like $140, like 500 bucks. That's wrong. That's not what you do in a pandemic, Kansas City. Come on, man. Welcome to winning the Super Bowl, guys. (laughs) There there is a cost for fans with winning. That has always been the case. Okay, we'll get back to some Chief stuff here in a second. But uh, we're going to start out with surprises for 2020 as we try to make our guesses as what's going to happen here in this wild and willy pandemic season. So, uh, Matt Verderam, who do you think will surprise in 2020? Give me some dark horses. So, I, I think it's going to be harder this year than a lot of years because teams just haven't had the normal offseason. They haven't been able to gel. Teams with a lot of moving parts haven't been able to quite maybe come together as you normally would by this point. But I, I look at last year, right? So, the 49ers surprised people. Now, some people thought the Niners would be good or better. Nobody thought the Niners were going to be the number one seed and go to the, go to the Super Bowl. Right, like, and for evidence of that, by the way, in week two they played the Bengals and they were the underdog in the game. So that, that's all you need to know. Um, the Niners went from having a hurt quarterback and Jimmy Garoppolo to a healthy quarterback, and then they added up front. They went out and they drafted Bosa. They they traded for D Ford, and they became a, a fearsome team. Right. I look at a few different teams that kind of fit that mold. So Indianapolis has a new quarterback, obviously not an injured quarterback, but a new one, Philip Rivers. They had actually added DeForest Buckner from the Niners. So they they kind of went along that same line, tried to improve the defense. It got Xavier Rhodes. They're hoping he's kind of a reclamation project on the back end. Rocky Sin, his second-year corner out of Temple. Um, they, they get Rivers to come in there as an upgrade over Brissett. I think he will play better behind that offensive line. I don't think he's going to be great. I don't think he's going to be peak Phil Rivers, but I think he's going to be an upgrade over Jacoby Brissett. Um, so they're a team that I have to watch. And then I'll give you another one quickly. Uh, Pittsburgh, to me, is the most obvious. Like if you said to me one team that didn't make the playoffs or could make the Super Bowl, to me, it's the Steelers. They are coming off an injured quarterback. Okay, They've got a great front seven. They bring back Dupree on the tag. They've got Watt. That team, they got Hayward up front. Like That's a group. That's a really good group up front. Minka Fitzpatrick's there for his second year, first full year with the team. I think they're going to be a problem. I think Pittsburgh's going to be really, really good. So there are a few teams that, that didn't make the playoffs last year 
that I think could be big, big, big players, especially Pittsburgh, well, uh, come January. Well, you got the Steelers one in the North. You, you think they're going to be better than Baltimore? Matt Burram all if in on Pittsburgh. healthy, obviously. Yes, I do. I Look, everybody takes us some big shot. I tweeted that out today, and, and I've been getting besieged by Ravens fans. The reality is the Ravens can't throw the ball. They can't throw the football. They have no receivers. Like Marquise Brown's fine. That's all well and good. Willie Sneed should not be starting on a good team. Okay? Like, there's no excuse for that. Now, Mark Andrews is a terrific tight end, and people are going to say, oh, you're saying Lamar is a running back. No, I'm not saying Lamar is a running back, but I am saying that he is not the thrower of the football that the elite quarterbacks in the league are. He's something you probably do know. Progressive can not only offer you a great price when you bundle home and auto, they offer you round-the-clock protection. Something you probably don't know? A driveway basketball hoop, including the base, weighs around 400 pounds. Something you probably do know? There's a windstorm coming. Something you probably don't know? A basketball hoop tipping over can poke a hole in a car roof like a can opener. Bundle your home and auto with Progressive and get more than a great price. Get round-the-clock protection. Something you know for the things you don't know. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Not. And they got exposed last year when they played Tennessee and they got down in that game. That game was curtains. They had no ability to come back. They had no injuries last year, okay, of any note outside Tony Jefferson. They they played in a division that was awful. The Browns were a mess. The Bengals were the number one overall pick, and the Steelers didn't have Big Ben. Now, that doesn't mean they didn't win some good games. Look, they beat Seattle on the road. They needed two defensive touchdowns to do it, but they did it. I think Baltimore is a good team. I think Baltimore's making the playoffs, and I don't think anybody's going to be in a, in a rush to face Baltimore. But I don't think they're going to have a repeat of what they did last year. I think they're going to take a step back. You just need to own for me to feel comfortable that you have been a little bit behind on how good Lamar was, that he did catch you, along with a zillion others, not just you, Matt Burr, but he did catch a bunch of people by surprise last no year. Question. So, okay. No question. And, and, and I should say, too, look, I've been really impressed in the sense that he's been better every year, really dating back to his time at Louisville. He's gotten better at throwing the football. Okay? He's not a bad thrower of the ball. He's just, to me, not in the class of Mahomes or when Roethlisberger's healthy or Russell Wilson or, or, or Deshaun Watson or Drew Brees. And that's not a knock. Like, you're talking about a lot of guys who are Hall of Fame level players. Like that, that's not, I'm not, like, crushing the kid. I think he can throw the ball. I just – it's a combination of he's not quite the level throw those guys are. And, and this has nothing to do with him. They just have no weapons around him in the passing game outside of Andrews. And he's fine. But, like, Mark Andrews is not beating you in a playoff game. Like, you need – even more than that, they don't have a Tyree Kill. They don't have a Michael Thomas. They don't have a Mike Evans. They don't have a Juju Schmidt-Schuster. And that, I think, is going to be a problem as teams start to say, you are not beating us running the football. You are not going to do it. It'll be interesting to see if the Ravens can come close to the success they had last year, which is going to be awful tough to do. They are a prime regression candidate. Uh, if you're looking for a sleeper, Matt Burham, what team – Lost five games when it had the lead going into the fourth quarter. Good question. Knowing you, I'll There's, say it's the Bears. It is It is not the Bears. Okay. There's no other team, by the way, last year lost three times when they had the lead oh, going to the fourth. This team, this the team lost. Chargers uh, were my second pick. The okay. Chargers they have a lot of weird losses every year. They, they had brutal losses. But this, uh, this also is a team that's coming off a huge quarterback injury. He missed eight games. I'll give it away. So I'm talking about the Detroit Lions. Um, hmm. And I think when you look at the North, as you mentioned, my Bears, this division does, in theory, come back to the pack. The Lions have a very easy schedule. Matthew Stafford is healthy. So I do think Detroit has a – I would bet a lot of money they're going to be significantly better than they were last year. I'm not saying they're a playoff team, but they definitely have a chance to be way more competitive, I think, than people are giving them credit for. I, I think that's a good call. Uh, I wrote about them a little bit in my column on Monday. I will round my thoughts out with this. I like Arizona a lot, too. I've talked about them before on, on the pod. Uh, they do have the you know, same quarterback, but second year. Should be more comfortable. Same thing with the court, with the uh, head coach, rather, in Cliff Kingsbury. They added Jordan Phillips inside from the Bills, who I love. He he actually led all interior rushers in the AFC in sacks with nine and a half last year. Had more than Chris Jones. Now, Jones was hurt for a, a good chunk, so let's not mistake that. But Phillips is an excellent player. They added him a three-year deal. They draft Isaiah Simmons, who's going to be that kind of jack-of-all-trades guy. We'll see how he fits in the front seven. The problem is, for the Cardinals, the NFC is loaded. Last year, the Niners, Seahawks, Packers, Vikings, and Saints all won 11 games, and now they all return their quarterback. 
The only two teams in the AFC that won 11 plus games returned their quarterback, Kansas City and Baltimore. Wow. So there's more room to be that third, fourth team, that team that could make a little bit of a leap with some luck in the AFC than there is in the NFC. I just think the NFC is too loaded. The Chargers, by the way, since you brought them up, they were they were two and nine last year in one score games. It's unbelievable. And, that, and that, I feel like that's, that's all the time. That that's hard to do. I mean, you remember like week seven, they were down. 23-20 the times they drive down to the one-yard line, pass interference oh, call in the end zone, and they turn the ball over. I mean, they, they had some just straight, brutal losses. But yep. for the sake of argument, uh, Detroit, I'm, I'm on you, Matthew Stafford. One time, uh, live the dream. All right, uh, let's move on to uh, our Into the Future segment. And we're going to start with Earl Thomas here, Matt. I, this is uh, a very talented seven-time Pro Bowler who absolutely embarrassed himself as a Raven. So who's going after Earl Thomas? Uh, I won't get – okay, I'll, I'll save my thoughts. Who do you, what do you, where do you think he's a fit? So Dallas was the team that essentially everybody thought, oh, he's definitely going to Dallas. And all of a sudden, Cowboys were like, no, he's not coming to Dallas. Okay, so that's done. Uh, I'll say this for, for starters. To me, it's a contender or bust for Thomas. There's no point if you're not a contending team to sign Earl Thomas. He's in his 30s. He's clearly a guy who's not going to be happy playing second fiddle and being on a team that's not good. So I, I don't think like if you're if you're a team like Cincinnati, it makes no sense on either side. So I have two fits I think are really interesting, and one just really kind of became a fit in the last 24 hours, and that's Cleveland. Grant Delpit, who is their second round pick at LSU, who I love by the way, I think he's going to be big time. Tears his Achilles. He's out for the year. Well, he was going to be a starting safety for them. They now need another safety next to Demarius Randall. I could see that being an easy fit, right, with Thomas coming in there, helping to stabilize that defense. Now, you could argue that the Browns, the last thing they need is another, uh, not even a character concern, just a character in that locker room. They got enough guys that, that stir that pot on a day-to-day basis. So, you could argue that, but from a football standpoint, they make sense. But the one that makes the most sense to me, New England. Patrick Chung opted out, COVID-19 concerns, and Belichick has a history of going out and getting guys who are big-name players who had success elsewhere who maybe wore out their welcome. Randy Moss is the biggest name, of course. They got him in a trade from the Oakland Raiders way back when for a fourth-round pick. They went out and they got Antonio Brown last year. That one, of course, didn't work out. They took Ocho Cinco. Once upon a time, they signed off the street. That didn't work out. But then Rodney Harrison, when the Chargers were up and done with Rodney Harrison, they went out and got him. And Belichick will tell you he was one of the most important people of that entire dynasty, won two Super Bowls with him. You know, Corey Dillon's another example, washed up from the Bengals, went there, won a couple Super Bowls. So Belichick has a long, long history of doing that with guys like Earl Thomas. Yeah, I, I'm with you on New England. That would make a ton of sense. I'll, I'll throw out some other ones here. Uh, let's just put Houston in the mix here. Deshaun Watson wanted him. Um, they could use some good love going on in Houston with their incredibly dysfunctional offseason. Their defensive coordinator, Gus Bradley, knew him from Seattle when he was the defensive coordinator there, so maybe that's a fit. So I would throw the Texans in the mix. Also, like, look, to me, you need a coach that knows you. Dan Quinn in Atlanta was his defensive coordinator in 2013 and 2014. Yep. Yeah, he's, That's a good I mean, he's been very like something like that would make sense. Like this dude needs to be around someone who he'll respect. I, I wouldn't touch him. You can't be getting in fist fights and literally alienate the entire locker room on the back end of your career and make me want to bring you in, even if I have a need at safety. So here, here's my problem. And by the way, he's from Texas. So Houston makes a lot of sense, even on that regard as well. My problem with, with all Thomas is twofold. One is, He's been with two very good organizations. The Baltimore Ravens and the Seattle Seahawks are widely respected. They're very well run. They win all the time. He wore out his welcome in Seattle. He, of course, the enduring image of him leaving is him giving the finger to the entire sideline as he's being carted off the field in Arizona. Right? Way to go. Then he goes to Baltimore. And I can tell you this, and I'm not breaking any news with this. It's been out there. When I was at the Combine, people were talking about that they were trying to trade him. I mean, this goes back to at least then, if not even prior to that, probably about then with the start of the offseason. But Baltimore was open to moving on from him then. He had been a little bit of a problem. There was that argument that he had of Brandon Williams, heated argument last year. Um, and then, you know, there was all the offseason stuff. 
Uh, if, if you're curious, I'm not going to get into that on the pod, but go look up some of the headlines uh, you know, involved with his brother and just just not, just not weird things that, that had kind of come up into the news. And there was uh, you know, another another situation that, that had, you know, the, the uh, law enforcement had to at least be, be called to and get involved with. And then he punches Chuck Clark. That's a lot. And you got to figure, too, if you're the Ravens, if you're trying to win the Super Bowl this year, Super Bowl or bust, for them to get rid of Earl Thomas, it tells you all you need to know about what a circus that was behind the scenes. I mean, you had veteran players with the Ravens like saying, like, hey, we'll roll with Deshaun Elliott. I mean, this is a safety who's been banged up that clearly right. doesn't have even close to the pedigree. But they're like, just get this guy effing out of here. So I, I, you're out. Uh, but I'm sure, you know, this is the NFL, second chances, eighth chances, 12 chances, seven-time Pro Bowler is going to find a job. Oh, he'll, think, go, he'll go somewhere. Yeah, and I, and I think you're, the original point of New England makes a whole lot of sense. They have a need. They have Belichick. Sometimes it works, sometimes when, it doesn't, by the when way. When you have Belichick or a coach like Belichick, when you have some coach who has won at the highest levels, and obviously Belichick is, is the, the cream of the crop in that regard, you can underdog fantasy is the fastest growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick 'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code radio and underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100, get $100 free. That's promo code radio. Terms and conditions apply. You can bring in just about any player and say, look, this is my show, and you're going to run it this way, and if you don't like it, you can leave. Like Guys like that, guys like Mike Tomlin, Andy Reid, Pete Carroll, like you know, Sean Payton, they have that gravitas. They can do that. They've won. They've won, and they've, they've been winners for a long time. You know, it, It's different than if, like I mentioned the Browns earlier. If Kevin Stefanski brings in Earl Thomas, Earl Thomas can be, I'm sorry, who are you? Right, like, I'm going exactly. to the Hall of Fame. Whereas the real Thomas says that to Bill Belichick, he's going to be, who are you? I've won eight Super Bowls, including my time with the Giants. Exactly, exactly. Which, which is why I'm trying to lay out guys that he would respect and which would make sense. But it's amazing. Like I, we're, we're all trying to hang on to our job in a pandemic. You're not making, uh, you know, quite the money that these guys that uh, Earl's making, and this huge dough that he's putting on the line by acting like a bozo, which is just kind of amazing to me. But all right, let's uh, let's move on to the opener in 16 nights or 16 days, and that, of course, the Texans and the Chiefs. And the Chiefs are a 10 point favor. The Texans 10 point underdogs here, which is. Pretty large for week one. Are you are you surprised by that number, Matt Verderam? I am. I am surprised by that number. Now, look, people remember the playoff game where the Texans got a 24 to nothing and then were boat raced to the, to the tune of 51 to 7. But they do forget week week six of, of last year. They beat the Chiefs at Arrowhead 31-24. Now, it should be noted the Chiefs were without a lot of guys in that game. Chris Jones didn't play. Anthony Hitchens didn't play. Eric Fisher didn't play. Sammy Watkins didn't play. Mahomes had an ankle injury. And Hill was just coming back from a week one injury where he played like half the snaps. So the Chiefs were without quite a few guys in that, that game. And the Texans managed to win by seven points. It ran for like 200 yards. It was, it was a crap show um, defensively for Kansas City. I don't bring that up to say that the Texans should be favored or I think the Texans are going to win because I don't think the Texans should be even close to being favored. Um, but here's a few things. So I did a deep dive on this because I, I, I like the, the spreads and the lines. I think they're fun. So in 2004, it was the first time the NFL decided to have the Thursday opener for the, for the team that is the defending champion. So the, they've had 16 such games. Now, the Ravens in 2013, they played on the road because the, the Orioles had a conflict. And then last year, the Pats played on Sunday night instead of Thursday night because of the 100th year anniversary. But if you go back and you look at the last six, 16 games for these Super Bowl champ openers, the highest line was eight and a half points. It was Seattle over the Packers to start the 2014 season. Okay, Of those 16 games, the favorite team covered nine times and pushed three times, and they won 13 of the 16 games. So if you're a betting person, it stands to reason that the Chiefs are probably going to win the game, so maybe the money line is the best bet there. The average line of these games has been five points. 
So the Chiefs are double the favorite. Now, again, most of these teams have covered, okay? Nine of the 16 have covered and at least 12 of the 16 have pushed. So history says you would be wise to bet on Kansas City. But 10 points, 10 points is a big, big spread for any NFL game, let alone week one with no preseason where teams are kind of just trying to find their footing. But yeah, it, it did surprise me. I thought the Chiefs would come in at like seven and a half, maybe eight. Let's bring in the Andy Reid factor. Nine and two in season openers over the last 11, seven and four against the spread. The 24 to nothing game, that was Fluke City. I mean, you had a, you had a bomb, you had a block punt for a touchdown, you had the muff punt. Uh, and you did bring up a, a good point that the Texans were competitive uh, in the regular season against him, too. But I mean, this has been a disaster offseason. I'm actually surprised that the line's not 14. I, I I would if you had to bet on it right now. I listen. I, I mean, I think the Chiefs are going to blow them out. It's going to be a party in Kansas City with seventeen thousand people in the stands, going bananas and throwing their masks in the air and then putting them right back on for social distance uh, happiness. Here, I don't know. I I don't know how you can make a good case that Houston's going to be competitive in this game. So I understand the line. I, no, look, and that's that's why the line's as big as it is. Uh, you know, the, the Texans' problem is going to be they can't stop them. I think the Texans might score a little bit. Look, Brashad Breeland suspended. The Texans, even without Hopkins, I and mean, they have Cooks and Fuller and Kyle. Like, it's not great, but it's it's enough with Watson to throw the ball a little bit. Like I could see him scoring 21, 24 points. They're giving up 40 minimum. Like I they can't stop the who who on the Texans is guarding anybody on Kansas City? I mean, it's just gonna be Schwartz on Watt, Chip on Merciless with Fisher, and it's gonna be a seven on seven draw the entire game. They have no interior pass rush. And then it's – look, you actually bring up a great point with Reed. The one thing with Andy Reed, if you play the Chiefs, you want to see the Chiefs in the middle of the year before the bye. Because if you look at them the last handful of years, okay, last year they were 4-0 to start the season, despite a ton of injuries. Year prior to that, they were 5-0. Memory serves, they are 5-0 the year before that. Reed comes out with like an entirely new playbook that nobody knows how to stop for about a month and then usually the Chiefs kind of have a stretch where they don't play that great for about a month, and then they get a bye, and then Reed's just unconscious coming out of the bye. So if you're if you're a team that's playing Kansas City this year, you'd love to see them in like the middle of October, which is, by the way, when Houston saw them last year. You don't want to see them coming out of the gate. So I would bet on the Chiefs. I do think the line is enormous. It's the biggest line, again, for any opener we've ever had since the NFL has gone through Thursday night openers. Um, but yeah, look, Kansas City is just – they're going to be hard to stop offensively. Uh, and, and certainly Houston has given me no reason through its offseason to make me think that they can do it. 16 days, Chiefs and Texans. Everybody stay safe out there. Speaking of that, by the way, do we think – Do we are we confident in our NFL players who are going to training camp and then going home? Uh, we do have some hotel situations as well. But bottom line, do we actually believe that NFL players are going to follow – protocol in 2020 so we will have minimal impacts to the season what, what's your belief here Matt I think for the most part yes I think the mass majority will do their jobs but there's always the minority there's always that guy who says I don't care it's, it's I'm gonna do what I want to do the major league baseball model has shown us people are dumb okay in the NBA and the NHL, they have a bubble. No problems. They had no issues. I, I forget, you might remember, Carm. There was one NBA player who, who could have put them in jail. Was, was, I don't want to say the wrong name. Was it Lou Williams? Oh, yeah, when Lou Williams went to the adult establishment. Went to the for, gentleman's club. Yes. Yeah. I, I, okay, yes. I, I, just wanted to, I didn't want to throw the uh, wrong name out there. So it, it can't happen. But with baseball shown that the guys are idiots at times. The Marlins went to a strip joint in Atlanta. The Cardinals went to a casino. Uh, Yadier Molina had COVID and then puts on Instagram like a couple days ago, like this picture with him and like eight people just hanging around right next to each other, no distancing, whatever. Of course, the Indians had the Mike Clevenger, uh, Zach Plesak situation. Do I think that's going to happen in the NFL? Yeah, because the NFL has rosters that are double, more than double Major League Baseball's rosters. Like it's, you know, Major League Baseball, even in this year, carrying you know, 30 guys. I mean, the NFL, including the practice squad, you almost at 70. Like it's just, yeah, I mean, you're you're gonna have guys who're gonna test positive because guys are gonna do stupid things. That who's, the, said, who's the 
Who's the dude that tried to sneak in uh, a visitor into the hotel? Kamas Ivaran for the Seahawks. Yeah, rookie on rookie DB on the Seahawks. He uh, tried to sneak in someone into the hotel in a Wait. football jersey. <laughs> it just cracks me up to know. I it just look. Guys are gonna do stupid crap, and it's gonna happen. You're gonna now. My, I will say. I just think that the response in the NFL is going to be different than it is in Major League Baseball because baseball plays every day. You you ha- you have to cancel games because you have to wait. If this happens on a Tuesday in the NFL, they're going to be that's nice. Like we're testing that team every second of every day, and the second we get to a point where fifty three guys are okay and good to go, we're going to essentially quarantine them. We're going to make sure they can play. We're going to separate them from the guys who are sick. See you on Sunday. That's happening. I, I just do not see beyond a major outbreak that the NFL is going to miss any games. I mean, the NBA literally had to put in a rule to discourage conjugal visits. Now, yes, <laughs> the NFL. Good luck to you. Not, the NFL is not in that situation, uh, which, look, I, I, I have 0.0 confidence. 0.0. I'm just, sure a lot of guys are going to follow protocol and be good and, and take care of their business in, in the most uh, professional ways. I don't think that's going to there, – there's going to be issues this year, and hopefully they just won't be that bad of issues. But my confidence level is zero that there's going to be – that we're going to have like some perfect attendance, if you want to call it that. I, I will put it this way, okay? I remember an article – in 2000, I believe in, in 2010, about the 2009 season, um, Dwayne Bowe, former Kansas City Chiefs receiver, pretty good player, um, he explained to ESPN, the magazine, that the Chiefs were – not the Chiefs, the te- not the organization, but the players in the Chiefs – were just importing women on the road. Like This was, this was going on. In fact, if I can find the quote real quick um, – Take your time because I, I will speak on Dwayne Bow because that's when I was working in yes, Kansas City. Yes, yeah, actually, so yeah, you take the floor on this car. Yeah, well, I was working in Kansas City Radio when Dwayne Bow was in his prime, and there is really no NFL player that I've ever met that's been quite like Dwayne Bow, who definitely did things his own way and had made horrible choices in what he would say to the media, which, which had, by the way, had zero – animosity or it wasn't like he had an agenda he was just being Debo which was great which I liked him but he it was bizarre too here by the way so here's a quote this is from ESPN the magazine 2010 quote my rookie year which I believe would be 07 for him my rookie year we were playing in San Diego you hear stories about groupies hanging out in hotel lobbies but some of my teammates had it set up so there was a girl in every room the older guys get on MySpace and Facebook a week before we go to a city. When a pretty one writes back, they arrange to fly her in three or four days in advance. They call it importing, end quote. Okay? First of all, just wow. Second of all, uh, I'm willing to bet that NFL players, while most of them will be smart, I really do believe that there are going to be a legion of guys who will be bending the rules. Uh, and, and so the NFL is going to have to cross some fingers and hope it doesn't turn on out. Right? right. I mean, you tell me offensive linemen aren't going out to dinner on some Monday night. I don't know. Social media might actually be our the NFL's best friend this year because people are going to get caught. Camera phones. phones. Yep. So maybe that – Maybe we'll see. Uh, but, yeah, I'll go back to my 0.0 level of confidence. Let's, uh, let's talk about the fans in the stands here. And – Right, Kansas City's going to have 17,000, and Miami's going to have 13,000, and teams are trying to figure this out. Minnesota's not going to have fans for the first two games, but what does it look like after that? Question is, should the NFL ban all teams from having fans at games? Get a universal rule going on here, or just let it go on the way they're letting it go on right now? Competition-wise, they absolutely should. Do I think they will? No, absolutely not. It's clearly going to go by a state-by-state basis, team-by-team basis, and the reality is they want to make money. And fans in the stands, that's money. So the NFL is not going to get in the way of finances as long as uh, these these states are okay with it in terms of their compliance level with COVID. Um, we've heard Sean McDermott of the Bills, 
Mike Zimmer of the Vikings have come out and they've been against it. They've said it's not fair. It's a question of competition. I agree with them. Um, however, we did talk about this last week. And I also feel that in reality, it's not that big of an advantage. 17,000 people at Arrowhead Stadium to me is not a big advantage because okay, teams that don't have fans there are just going to pipe boys and it's going to be allowed. That's what they're going to do. Now, my question to you is, and, I, and obviously I don't expect you to have this answer, but and I don't know maybe has this answer. So let's use the Chiefs since they're opening up the season. They have 17,000 or so in the stands. Can they pipe in noise? Or do they just have to have the noise from that 17,000? Because if that's the case, it's going to be a lot quieter in Kansas City than it's going to be in a place that's piping in crowd noise for 80,000. If that's the case, then I almost think they're at a disadvantage. Now, you could argue, hey, with some fans comes some emotion and, and so on and so forth, and that's a, that's a different argument. I think there's some validity to that. Last year, home teams were 130, 125, and 1. Wasn't exactly a huge advantage. Vic Fangio, by the way, says, I'm actually for fans. I don't care if they're home or away. So I think in fairness, yes. In a perfect world, the NFL would say no fans or fans for all. I will also close with this. If this goes well in Kansas City, Miami, Indianapolis, Jacksonville, Dallas, where they're planning on having fans, and there's not outbreaks, you better bet your bottom dollar the rest of these teams, as long as the states are okay with it, are going to get in line and they're going to have fans as soon as humanly possible. Yeah. Look, I'm just looking around college campuses and Alabama, what, had 560 positive cases. Not good. So not, the, not good. And not the same as going to an NFL football game. I guess, you know, you're, you're partying at a college for, you know, frat house. You're going to have more problems than sitting in one section at an NFL game. And, like, in theory, I think this should be able to be pulled off. You have times when you're allowed to arrive and you go to the section and you have social distancing. Like, to me, it makes sense that they could do it. Um, but – and, look, the NFL has – a lot of money coming in, but they also have a lot of money going out too. So you, when you live this high on the hog, you need to, you need to recoup some costs here. And I know the TV contracts are huge, but money is the driver here. There's just no, you know, obviously. So, uh, but to answer the question, this should be universal. It, it just, it just should. Um, this is our policy. This is what we're going to do now. You can have certain states where, like, they say no, but the NFL should say, like, this is the policy of the NFL. If, if it's allowed in a state, we can have 15% or 20%, whatever your capacity level is, and there should be a, an, actual plat, an actual plan that each team follows through and how they get fans in and out of stadiums and how they're doing bathrooms and whatnot. Um, I, I think that all should be incredibly well mapped out here, and, and each team shouldn't be left to, like, figure this out on their own. But there's some part of the NFL where I feel like they're just trying to throw this all together at the end. And I, and I get it. Things change every single day here. But it's, it's, it's kind of bizarre. Does that make sense? Well, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it does. And again, from a competition fairness standpoint, I think the right move probably is to say, look, it's just we're not going to have fans. Unless all of our teams can have fans. But it's about money. And teams want money. And I think ultimately, by the end of the year, well, I was going to say by the end of the year that I think fans will be in most stadiums in some capacity, but the way this thing's gone in the United States, I have no idea if that's going to be the case. Yeah. We could have like a third wave combined with the flu, and, and that could just be the end of sports as we know. So I don't know. Um, but I think if these teams that are having fans, if it goes quote-unquote well, would not be surprised at all if a lot of teams started jumping on board real quick. It'll, it'll be real interesting what the exclamation points are going to be for 2020. Hopefully there will not be one. Uh, but this has been – it's been a year. It's been a year, everybody. By the way, thank you so much for listening to Stacking the Box. We really appreciate it in 2020 or any year as we move on to our in or out category. We've got four topics for you. Uh, we're starting with my new least favorite coach, and that would be Joe Judge who is in his rookie year with the New York Giants, Mr. Bill Belichick himself, although he hasn't won a game. Um, he's got all sorts of ideas here, Matt Bertram, on how to play hard and go about things the right way. Seems like a guy that should be coaching Pop Warner football and not NFL football at this point. Joe Judge coaches 17 games with the Giants. He makes it through the season, in or out. I'm in, and here's why. I think Joe Judge 
is uh, flirting with disaster with the way he's been with his team, laying into them after a practice, you know, in the middle of August and, and making guys run laps, coaches run laps. That that is not gonna fly. This is the NFL, okay? This isn't Valdosta State. Uh, but that said, I got one for you, Carm. You know the last time the Giants had a coach that only stayed for one year? 1926. Doc Alexander, one year. Man went eight and four. Okay. So if Judge goes after one year, that is historic. Like literally almost a hundred years since it's last happened with the Giants. And this is an ownership group. They're very image conscious. They're very aware of how they're perceived. They've always been like that. Wellington Mara, of course, owned them for so many decades. Now his son, Tim Mara, and, and Steve Tisch own the team. They are they're very much conscious of what they look like all the time. They do not want to be the team that is one and done with coaches. They, they've been two and done with Shermer or McAdoo. That's happened. But one and done does not happen with the Giants. The only caveat is Dave Gettleman as GM is on thin ice. If they go 4-12 and 12 this year and they fire him, you are not going to have a general manager who's a big-time candidate who's going to come in there and want to inherit Joe Judge. That person's going to want their own head coach. And if the Giants aren't willing to give that latitude, then they're not going to get the best candidate. They might end up going in-house, and that that is a whole other set of issues. You set your team back. So there are some extenuating circumstances, but I'm in on that because I just think the history of the Giants and the ownership says that he will be there for more than one year. So... You've got the New York factor, although you just did outline that they don't do one-year coaches in New York, but that is a bright light being the head coach of the Giants. You got Sterling Shepard, one of their wide receivers, saying that the practices that they've been doing, which have included penalty laps, that he hasn't done that since, quote, probably middle school. And then he says, I think it's going to take everybody buying in if we're going to be the team we want to be. And then you've got him – he's not putting names – on practice jerseys because they should, quote, know who they are by the way they carry themselves. I mean, this guy's straight crazy. And I'm having some PTSD from the Jim Boylan basketball era here in Chicago who tried to do all this crazy stuff where he's subbing out five for five. And these, these coaches who think that they can, like, go old school and this is what guys need, that's not how it works today. No. You're not – you're not the number one dude. You need to partner with your players, not be the, the head coach on the – this is not Gene Hackman and, and, and Hoosiers. Uh, I, I just I, – I don't, I, don't, I don't see it working. And I'm actually – I'm uh, – what's the – Joe Judge coaching 70. I'm, I am out on him coaching 70. I think it is a one-year flame out in New York. Hasta la bye-bye. Doc Alexander, meet Joe Judge. <laughs> Damn. Chelsea. Uh, let, let's talk about some offensive rookie of the years and, and we'll focus on the chiefs with our question. Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, uh, will win the offensive rookie of the year in, in or out on that Matt Bertram. So I'm out and here's why I think Clyde Edwards Hilaire is going to be very, very good because my God, he's about the fifth option on that team. Nobody, the, no defensive coordinator is going to go into a game against Kansas city saying they got to stop Clyde Edwards Hilaire, right? Like he is. Teams are begging the Chiefs to give the ball to Clyde Edwards-Alaire 25 times. And since 2000, we've had 20 offensive rookie of the year, right? And, and only three times has gone to a receiver. Eight times it's been a quarterback. Nine times it's been a running back. So you about split running back, quarterback. But of the nine times the running backs won in the last 20 years, the, the winner – has almost always been a running back who's been drafted down the board. Like three times was it the first running back taken that year, and it was Adrian Peterson, Todd Gurley, and Saquon Barkley. Edwards, those were all top ten picks. Edwards Alaire, thirty second overall. And that doesn't mean he can't do it, but history says it's probably a running back, or at least it, that it, it's slightly more likely than a quarterback in, in the last twenty years or so. But it, it won't be Edwards Alaire. Maybe it's a guy like a Jonathan Taylor uh, for the Colts. Something like that. And, of course, also, let's not forget, this is a year where you have three quarterbacks that went in the top ten, including Joe Burrow, who's got some weapons around him in Cincinnati, uh, who's going to probably be trailing quite a bit. He's going to throw for a lot of yardage. 
I, I think it will be Burrow, and I just think Edwards Alaire, I think he's going to be terrific. I just think there's going to be so many other guys on that team that need the ball. It's going to be hard for him to rack up that kind of yardage, those kinds of numbers uh, to, to, to get the job done there and be the offensive rookie of the year. So I love the Burrow pick, um, but to your running back point, I think an interesting guy is the 52nd pick in the draft, Cam Akers, um, working with Sean McVay and the Rams here. I mean, you're talking about no Todd Gurley, Daryl Henderson, who was going to get uh, at least some yep. carries. He just hurt his hamstring. Akers, they, I'm hearing a lot of positive things there. That's an, that's an interesting name there if we're, if we're looking for a running back. But – the Joe Burrow thing, like, I, I'd be stunned if he's not instantly good. I, I really – that guy is to be so, an impact guy. Yep. Yeah. I mean, so much swagger there. And, I, you know, uh, but I think it's actually a really fun year for the Offensive Rookie of the Year. But I, I'm out yeah. on Hilaire. Um As we move on to your Patriots – not your Patriots, Matt, but uh, your New England Patriots for you Patriot fans out there – the Patriots win the AFC East again. Here comes Cam Newton, in or out? I'm out again. Look, I thought when they signed Newton, it was interesting. And then eight guys opted out with COVID concerns, including Patrick Chong, Dante Hightower, Marcus Cannon. The Cannon leaves an offensive line that also lost its center in Ted Karras. Now, now Andrews is back. Karras is gone. More importantly, Dante Skarnecchia is gone, who's arguably the best offensive line coach in a generation. They have no tight end. They have no outside proven – they have no proven outside threat. Like, Nikhil Harry is in his second year. Show me something. I have not seen anything from Nikhil Harry. Mohamed Sanu was about as useful as a rotary phone uh, when, they, when they acquired him last year. He was atrocious. So they have all these things, right? And then on top of that, look – I. I think Cam is better than Jared Stidham by a mile. He makes them interesting. But let's not like, – I can't stand what happens sometimes in the media these days where the bloviating is just so out of control because of something some guy did five years ago or because people want him to be good. Cam Newton has had two major shoulder surgeries in the last couple of years and, oh, by the way, had foot surgery in November. Like – Cam Newton might be good, but he's. It would be shocking to me if he's as good as the old Cam Newton. Like, like MVP Cam Newton is long gone. If he wasn't, the Panthers wouldn't let him go. And oh, by the way, the Bills are better on both sides of the ball, even with Josh Allen. So I like the Bills in that division. I think the Pats are a playoff contender if everything goes right with Newton. But let's like. I'll just ask you this. I'll spin it to you. Let's say Cam plays sixteen games. And he's and he's a reasonable facsimile who he used to be. You look at the rest of that team. If that team wasn't the New England Patriots and they were the Houston Texans, would you pick them to go to the playoffs? No, but that's the problem. Or that I don't know if it's because the, they are the New England Patriots. Because they are the Patriots and they are Belichick, and there is just until we actually see them have a four and twelve season, I. I'm going to believe that they're going to be competitive. And the other thing is, I'm with you on the Bills. And I'm loving that, uh, you know, the reports out of Miami are that Tua's lighting it up. So that's well, that's well. fun and interesting. Um, and I'm, I'm even here for a, a Jets resurgence in 2020. That's not going to happen. Right. It's not. But so who am I really going to say, like, with confidence, I am betting on the Bills. Yes, sir. That's hard to do. So I'm a, I, I, I hate to do it, but if you if you told me that with everything on the line that I had to pick one team in the East, I'll I'll take the Pats. So I'm in. They do okay. it again somehow, some way. Fair enough. And by the way, I my respect factor comes in that I say that I think they contend for the playoffs because I got to tell you, if they were any other team other than the New England Patriots with that roster, I'd be like that team's going to the top ten picks. Like that team's just not good. But we're gonna see. Like if, if Belichick wins a division with that team, that to me, like that's maybe his best coaching job. Really is. And and maybe I'm just an idiot, but when I see Cam at midnight working out and sweats pouring off him, and I see that level of motivation, and maybe he's just selling me, and I'm getting snowballed here. But I believe he's gonna have a great year. 
So we'll see. Well, I, 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 I get it that you really shouldn't be judging midnight workouts of Cam on some weird boardwalk. But uh, let's move on to the Rams. Uh, do they rebound and make the playoffs? It was ugly last year, but maybe we'll get a resurgent Rams team. In, in or out, Matt? So I'm going to make it a clean sweep, and I'm going to be out on this as well. Uh, they're in the toughest division in the sport, in my opinion. The Niners are defending NFC champs. Seattle's really good. The Cardinals are, you know, I've talked about them. I think the Cardinals are good. I don't think the Cardinals are great. I think they're good. I think they're better. That's a tough road to hoe. And you mentioned Cam Akers. They're going to need him to rescue the running game. They need him to do it. Now, maybe he can, but he's going to have to do it. Van Jefferson out of Florida, who I really liked it at Mobile when I went and saw him at Senior Bowl. They need him to step up and be big time. The reports are that, that he's done well. But that that's, I mean, you're, you're, you're really betting on a couple of rookies in a year where I think rookies are going to have a hard time getting off the ground because of everything that's gone on. Uh, but I'll tell you what, my biggest issue with them is just the way they've been managed last couple of years. It's on general manager Les Snead. They, they went out and they made huge moves. Guys like Marcus Peters, Brandon Cooks, Akib Talib, Jalen Ramsey. You're talking first and second round picks all over the place. When you do that, your cap's going to be in disarray because you don't have the young, cheap players. You're an older team by proxy because you're trading for guys who are already in the league. Okay. And you are hurting your depth. Well, guess what? Peters did not work out at all. He was an all-pro in Kansas City. He was a disaster in L.A., and now he's an all-pro in Baltimore. Tlaib worked out okay, but they end up dumping him to the Dolphins for a late pick. Brandon Cooks worked out okay. We got one really good year out of him, but they gave up a first-round pick. They ended up getting back a second. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest-growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. And then Ramsey will see how that works out. They gave up two firsts. They don't have a first-round pick till 2022. I just think the Rams have trended in the wrong direction for a little bit too long. I wouldn't be shocked if they made the playoffs, but I don't think they're going to be able to do it in what is the tougher conference and in the best division in that conference. So, right. Uh, I have the Rams in last place in the West. I, so do I. I so I, I'm I'm. And then it might be 8-8, eight and, eight and I still might think that. Right. I, look, I think the Cardinals are going to be very fun this year. I think the Seahawks are going to push the Niners, and I think San Francisco is going to be back on top where they were last year. I mean, I got the Rams win five to six games. Um, and that, wow. So, uh, yeah, I'm out. I, 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 I've never really – I mean, do you, do you like Jared Goff? Because I never really I think have. he's average. Right. I think he's Derek Carr. So, uh, I love Aaron Donald. Love him. Uh, and they – they're 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 an inter- they're like an interesting bad team I would say that or or an interesting non playoff team but I'm out Matt 100 so percent out on it, on it goes to show by the way just how quickly in the NFL things change I I I wrote my whole column about that on Monday I I, w- I did a little bit of a deep dive with Mahomes and and how this is really like people look at this just like this big race period. This is a big moment for him and for that team because they could win back-to-back titles. They'd be the first team in 17 years. My point is everybody thinks the Chiefs are just going to be this like automatic dynasty. Well, guess what? Everybody thought that 10 years ago with Green Bay when they won a Super Bowl with Rodgers. How many Super Bowls has he been back to? Like, And with the Rams, I mean, my God, I was at that Super Bowl. It's the first Super Bowl I covered. Everybody said, well, my, the Rams will just be back. The Rams, I mean, you could name 15 teams in the league that you think would have a better shot at dynasty right now than the Rams. Your chances at success in the NFL are fleeting. The Rams are a prime example. It's why what New England does is amazing. Like the Rams were supposed to be a team that had just endless opportunities. I mean, remember when Sean McVay was the greatest coach that's ever walked the face of the earth? That was quick. That was, I mean, not that people think he's bad, but my God, I mean, he was being held as like Belichickian. Well, not anymore. Things change. No doubt you got to do it. 
when you can do it for lack of a better way of putting it. Let's uh let's wrap up here. What's what's going on Hold in on. the Hold yep. on. We got mailbag. Oh, right. We got I mailbag. Forget. So, we got a couple questions we're going to answer, right? And I'll run them right down. Okay, we'll get right into this. We want to thank everybody who's sending questions. Love the response. Thank you so much. Hashtag stack in the box. So the first question I'm going to get to, uh, John Bueller wants to know, so he says, Mike Mayock is a big fan of Marcus Mariota. Do you see a scenario where Mariota usurps Carr as the starter, akin to what happened to Mariota last year when Tannehill came in and did the same thing to him in Tennessee? Could this be a catalyst for the Raiders to make the playoffs? I will say that, could I see Mariota coming in and starting? Yes, absolutely. Do I think that he's going to bring them into the playoffs? I don't. Uh, I've always liked Tannehill a little bit more, maybe than some people. And they're not to the point that he, the way he played last year. He was, he was terrific last year down the stretch. Um, I think if Carr is getting benched for Mariota, it means that things went off the, the rails pretty bad for the Raiders. Uh, that the Carr is just not good, that Mariota is coming in to try to resurrect it. And I just, I don't, you know, the Titans had a little bit of a magic carp ride last year, too. They were nine and seven. It wasn't like the Titans were great. I, the, the Raiders in that division, you know, the Chargers and Broncos are some questions, but they're talented teams. The Chiefs, obviously, you know, Super Bowl champions. So I think Mariota could end up playing there. I don't think that he's going to uh, ride them into the playoffs. So your thoughts, Carl? I, I think we talked about it last week, and I said that, that Mariota is going to have his moment this year. There's definitely going to be a time where somehow, some way, he makes it on the field and Chucky's going to fall in love with him and there's going to be a lot of conversation around it. And I'm, I am here for it. I, I love a good con quarterback controversy, especially when Gruden's involved, the way he handles these things. So I, I'm here for Mariota playing, at, say, at least three games this year, playing well in two and then scuffling, and then they go back to Carr. That I and I'm here for, by the way, a very entertaining Raiders season in their inaugural Las Vegas campaign, which still makes me nauseous. But yes, uh, I do think we'll see some Mariota action here, John Bueller. You're the man. So we get another question from Mark Powell, who asks, "Am I right to be concerned that the Steelers are going into the season with essentially the same trio of quarterbacks as last year, given given Big Ben's recent injury history?" Carmel, you lead off. Thoughts: Are the Steelers crazy, or uh, is is it fine? Uh, look, yes, it's crazy. I think you are absolutely right to be concerned. I mean, what you're you're not winning unless uh, unless Ben stays healthy. I think that is a, a very fair, you know, assessment. You're not like the Eagles, where if if Carson Wentz goes down, you can rely on a rookie and Jalen Hurts and have any like confidence, along with a veteran, by the way, that you can get some real play. However, um, you know, I, I don't there. In my mind, the Steelers really didn't have a, a much better option unless they were going to go out and do something like bring in Cam, but they were worried. I don't know, you know, if they were worried about their locker room culture or whatever it was that, that did not entice them to do that. But yes, I think you are absolutely right to be concerned, is my, is my answer on the Steelers. And I think Big Ben somehow, some way, is just going to miraculously get it done this year. Okay. So, like, obviously, for me, I do think that they should have brought in somebody who <laughs> maybe gives them a little bit more of a, of a comfort if Big Ben gets hurt because Mason Rudolph and Devlin Hodges are awful. Like, if Big Ben goes down, my prediction of the Steelers winning the North is just kaput, even if he just goes down for a month, okay? It, it's not a good idea. Uh, that is a concern and a deep concern I have. I, so I – I think Mark is right on. Like they should have brought in somebody else. Like they, they to me, were the prime team. Go get Jameis. Like Jameis isn't great, but as a backup, he's terrific. Like go bring in Jameis Winston. Guys over five thousand yards last year, but they didn't. And they have a guy named Duck, and they have Mason Rudolph. <laughs> so I, I thought it was an oversight uh, for sure. I, Come I, on, I, Duck. I, Duck. I, Duck's not good. Um, all right. So then we have one more question we want to get to here real quick. Alex Burgos, uh, great uh, great supporter of the show, asked a question last week. We're going to get to him again. He says, hey, Matt, word is that Jody Fortson is tearing it up in Chiefs camp. Do you have any info on that? Maybe something for the next podcast. Thank you in advance. So I did some work uh, over the weekend. I actually wrote about Jody a little bit in, in my uh, Inside the League segment of Stack in the Box. 
So Fortson is 6'6", 230 pounds. He's 24 years old, second-year kid out of Valdosta State. The Chiefs are essentially looking at him alongside Garrett Dieter and uh, Byron Pringle as a potential fifth wide receiver. Maybe they carry six this year because of the expansion of the roster is due to COVID. My understanding is that he's, he has indeed had a very good camp. They are impressed by him. They liked him a lot last year when he was on their practice squad all year long. He didn't see any time, was not activated. Um, and while he hasn't tried out, or I shouldn't say tried out, while he hasn't played any snaps yet in camp at, at the tight end position, that is one thing I would watch because he played some tight end in college. Again, he's six foot six and 230 pounds. He's not going to block. He could be a move tight end. The Chiefs have had some injury problems behind Kelsey this offseason with Deion Yelder and Ricky Seals Jones both having injuries. You know, Fortson could kind of be a guy who gives him some help there as well, potentially, some short term help. The biggest concern right now for Fortson is learning the playbook. That's that's got to be the number one thing. He's made strides. He's got to continue to do it. Uh, but my understanding is they are happy with him. They they have been impressed by him, and he is firmly in the mix to make the active roster. We'll see. It's a numbers crunch in Kansas City because they just simply have so many guys. And oh, by the way, wanted to say to Alex, uh, happy birthday to his daughter Bella, who turned two years old oh, on Sunday. Oh. Oh, happy birthday, Bella. You're awesome, Bella. So happy birthday to Bella, the youngest fan of the show that we have. So I, yeah. I appreciate she, she beats out my daughter, who's, who's going to be three in September. And who oh, I'm not quite even sure is a fan of the show. Um, so Bella's, happy birthday, Bella. Hope Bella's, all Bella's all in on stacking the box. Thank you so much, Bella. Making it's great early. We gotta get one of the t-shirts. See if they see if we can make one in like a you know in a, I don't know a two T size. You know? uh, we we can get a um, let's get a so, whole baby right. uh, a baby baby stack in the box a gift bag. Why That's not? Right. Um, so we appreciate you listening and subscribing and rating and telling a friend it's um, our livelihood. So thank you so much as we wrap up the show here. Uh, Matt Burram, anything special going on? Sixteen days away from. The opener as we uh, try to dial it in here, the end of summer, which feels really weird. You know, nothing special other than just excitement. I mean, I'm 16 days away. I can't wait to just sit down and watch a full slate of games on a Sunday. I mean, obviously, yes, of course. I'm excited to watch the Chiefs and the Texans. But I'm just really excited as well, even for this, this, this Sunday when we've got 14 games, or I guess 13 games, we get the doubleheader on Monday night, 13 games cooking. It's going to be odd because, you know, most of my life I've spent watching the games at home with my dad, you know, growing up in New York. And then the last five years, I usually watch them with our, our good friend and, and coworker, Josh Hill, in the office. And we order in some food and we have a good time. And we're not going to the office anymore this year for the rest of the calendar year due to the coronavirus. So I will be in my office where I'm sitting right now and I'll be watching all the games. I will say I am jacked up for this. I've got a I've got a high class recliner coming in uh, a couple of days before the the first game. I got to come in that Monday, and that that bad boy is going right in the office. I think I think Steph uh, would have liked it to be upstairs, and then maybe I took the old recliner. But I uh, I'm I'm using some some birthday cash, and I uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna make the move. In fact, I did make the move. So the recliner's coming in. I'm excited. Uh, I, I will not move from that chair for quite a while here during the football season. That's kind of amazing, Matt Ferdinand, that uh, <laughs> I was thinking was because we, we've been blessed by our fine bosses at Minute Media to be able to purchase some office equipment. So I was like, is this what Ferdinand used his money for? He bought a recliner, but you went your own personal stash. No, I... Uh... I have not even used that money yet. That's a whole other story. But uh, I, I, no, I, I had some some money uh, to, to spend, and I said, you know what? I really want a recliner. I got a couch in the office right now. I got my desk, got my desk chair, which is really comfortable. But when you can get a recliner, like you got to do it. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to spend a lot of time in my office, especially this year with COVID. So. I'm locked and loaded. I'm ready to go for the baseball playoffs. I'm ready for Oakland to, to break my heart again. I'm ready for football. Uh, it's, it's all happening. I'm trying to think of anything special is going on in my life other than the fact that uh, 
I'm trying. I might take a, a pre-opening day, a couple day jaunt somewhere in the Midwest. It was good news today. Two states from Illinois, we are allowed to travel to. We can go to Arizona, Matt Bertram. We can also go to, I think it was Virginia that got removed. I'm rooting right. for <laughs> one right. day at a time. Michigan, Wisconsin, these are COVID-friendly states. But hey, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. We appreciate it and uh, look forward to being with you next Tuesday, which will be nine days away from the Thursday opener, which is sweet. Bertram, congratulations on uh, all you're doing out there. Good job on the recliner. Thank you. Thank you. Can't wait. I'll, I'll take a picture of it and tweet it out to the masses. We'll, we'll see you next week for Stack of the Box. This podcast is brought to you by Fansided. Join our community of over 300 sites from sports to pop culture and everything in between.